Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA-certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and I'm the uh, senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Today, I am just so happy to have on the show uh, author, pastor, writer, podcaster, just uh, all around great ministerial guy, Bob Hiller. Uh, Bob Hiller works for a church out in California. Uh, We have only recently gotten connected uh, primarily through his book uh, in which uh, we endeavor to talk about in this podcast. His book is called Finding Christ in the Straw, which is sort of a play on words of uh, what the great reformer Martin Luther once referred to James's epistle as sort of an epistle of straw, so to speak. Martin Luther called it that as we endeavor to talk to because there is seemingly not a lot of Christ in James's letter in the New Testament. But as Bob and I uh, endeavored to talk about, that's really actually not the case. And in fact, uh, what we find in the epistle of James is really a robust view of what the gospel is and does in the, lo- in the lives of those it changes and saves and redeems. So uh, this is a great episode. I was able to chat with Bob for quite a while, and we got to talking about ministry and life, and we got to talking about, of course, this uh, epistle of James and just this disparity that is seemingly there all the time uh, when it comes to faith and works. And uh, there's this seeming difference that is present when you read the works of James and then when you read the works of Paul. And is that really true? Well, we endeavor to answer those questions, help you sort of work through uh, th- work through the, the James's letter and just think through it with a gospel sort of gospel centered mindset, so to speak. Uh, I pray you really find a lot of uh, blessing and benefit and, and encouragement through this episode. It was a blessing to record. It was a blessing to chat with Bob. So I pray uh, that you find much to be encouraged by uh, throughout this conversation. So enjoy. Uh, thank you for joining today, Bob. Um, if you can, um, just introduce yourself um, in as many or as few words as you feel necessary and just kind of tell us about uh, yourself and what you're doing uh, in the Lord and for the ministry. Sure. Uh, so uh, 
kind of like you, I grew up in a pastor's house. My dad's a pastor, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastor. Uh, he was, he retired, I guess, uh, two years ago now. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side was also a, a pastor, an army, uh, excuse me, an Air Force chaplain. Um, mm. And and it goes pretty far back, actually, on both sides of my family uh, ministry. So I grew up in, in a pastor's home. Um, I'm what we call in the Lutheran Church a systems kid, uh, starting in... Yeah seventh grade, I started going to Lutheran school, then Lutheran high school. Then I went to Concordia University in Irvine uh, for my undergrad, studied under Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, uh, which which had a significant shaping in my life. Um, mm. And then uh, uh, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I don't know uh, how much you guys know about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but when it comes to naming higher education institutions, we have no creativity. Uh, everything is called Concordia. So uh, Concordia in Irvine and then Concordia in St. Louis. Got my first call uh, to um, Faith Lutheran Church in Moore Park, California. It's an incredible congregation. Um, that I served there for 10 years. I think I was, I think it was like three months shy of 10 years. Uh, and about four years ago now, I received a call to Community Lutheran Church in Escondido. Uh, and San Marcos, we have we have two campuses. We're a multi-site church, so uh, we have a campus in Escondido and a campus in San Marcos, and um, just love it. Just an incredible, incredible group of people. Um, a lot of excitement for the Lord at our church, and, and we're really having a lot of fun. So uh, that's kind of my ministry, uh, how I got into all of this. So I guess the the the, the holy pious story. If you want to know my my high holy moment when I realized I needed to be a pastor, was growing up. I never wanted to be a pastor. Hmm. Um, I wanted to work in the church, perhaps with youth. So one summer I come home from school and I'm debating, should I be a pastor or a youth director? And my, uh, my youth director said, hey, why don't you run the sixth grade group this summer and see how you like it? Uh, and, I, and I left angry, uh, <laughs> disgruntled <laughs> every night. I'm like, this is, this is the worst, man. I'm going to be a pastor. That'll be way easier. Uh, and so that's why I got into ministry. Um, I was wrong on every count. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite thing now is uh, junior high ministry. Uh, confirmation was what we do in our church. And uh, I, I look forward to sixth and seventh graders every week, man. They are a riot. Mm. That, for whatever reason, that was the Lord pushing me <laughs> to become a pastor. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, you, you become uh, hit in the face, so to speak, with your preconceptions of, quote, easy ministry when you get into the yeah. ministry. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's not a thing. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it doesn't exist. Um, so you've been in ministry for a while in different various contexts. And yep. um, growing up a, a pastor's kid, do you feel like that had any sort of uh, shaping uh, on you, like specifically, or I'll also ask you this way: uh, Do you feel like that kind of um, led into your um, not wanting to be a pastor at the beginning, just because you grew up around it too much, so to speak? Yeah, I think the main thing was every teenager. I, I think, generally speaking, teenage boys have this this time where they say, "I'm not going to be like my dad." Hmm. Um, not, not in a negative way. It's just, I, I need to be my own person, right? I need yeah. to be out on my own. I need to do my own thing. Uh, and I love my dad and I've never had like dad issues or anything like this. Like I've always loved my dad, but I just thought that is not for me. I think at the time, I don't think I really enjoyed public speaking. Um, I was nervous about that. I, I didn't want the responsibility. Um, hmm. and so I just pushed against it, but, um, and I just thought, I don't want to do exactly what my dad did. I want to do my own thing. Um, but, but I mean, looking back, my dad is, my dad's an incredible pastor. And so I, I learned a great deal from him and it, and I was pretty much shaped to do this my whole life, the more I mm. look back on it. So, yeah, yeah it's really, it's, it's impre uh, impressive from a sense that you can see the spirit working and shaping and molding your life. Uh, when you look on it in hindsight, uh, I would have to echo the same sentiment. Um, that, you know, that all the while, even during my own season of shirking my dad's shadow, so to speak, as a pastor, um, it was really revealing to me now that I've been in ministry that the spirit never stopped working. And he yeah. was just molding me all along and uh, shaping me into the minister and, and dad uh, that he wanted me to become. Yeah, and uh, yeah. that's a that's a wonderfully comforting fact, I think, is that uh, he's he's 
working on you even when you don't think he is. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, what would you say is one of the biggest things that you have kind of learned uh, throughout your time in ministry, perhaps th- something that has um, caught you by surprise or just something that you now would say, like, You're, this is the hill I'm going to die on, so to speak? Whew. Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think the import maybe it would the importance of the of theology and practice being tied together, if I can say it that broadly. Hmm. Um yeah. I I tend to I loved seminary because of the academic aspect to it. Does that make sense? Like I love yeah. learning, yeah. I love studying, I love being challenged, and I love the arguments. Uh with my brothers, you know, we you argue tooth and nail over a point and then you go out for a beer afterwards and it was just wonderful. Um, <laughs> when I got to the parish, I learned that uh, theology is not academic, but it's, it's, um, it's the air a lot of the, the, the people in the congregation breathe. Like they want to know how to think about God. They want to know how to live in light of God's promises and his will. Uh, and if you teach that poorly, and we'll talk about this probably with James a little bit, but you teach that poorly, you misuse that you're actually going to damage people's souls. Uh, you're, you're going to harm your brothers and sisters in Christ by teaching poorly. So good doctrine um, produces faithful living. And uh, the pastor's responsibility in that is integral. And, and to see, looking back on things I've done or said that were just wrong and, and, mm-hmm. and bad yeah. and, and sort of uh, reaping the benefit, reaping the results of that, um, you know, you, you've really got to be very mindful, very prayerful with your nose in the scriptures constantly to make sure that what you're saying is, is good for the people. And it's what the people need to hear. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but the importance of faithful preaching, um, I think has become really the biggest thing yeah. I've, I've learned, um, that, mm. that the, the sermon is not ancillary to the ministry. It, it matters. It's the primary thing. It's the main thing that gives shape to what's going on in the church. So um, that's, that's where I've really, I've experienced that now for 14 years. Yeah. Well, that's a really good thought too. And I, I love the fact that you pointed that out because I do think me, I've been in ministry for a long time, but vocationally a short time, but in my short time that I have, I've learned very quickly that, uh, oftentimes, the conversation that is filling the the halls of academia is not necessarily what's first on the minds in your parishioners or your congregants' minds, yeah. and yep. rightly so. Uh, but by the same token, the answer to both is the same. And I think that that's where it comes mm. to a well-articulated theology can answer both venues in the same way. And I think yep. that's why it's necessary for pastors to be theologians and to, you know, uh, to <laughs> in, indoctrinate themselves in that sort of space, but not take that same sort of rhetoric and believe that that is what is going to, you know, uplift a soul or encourage a grieving heart because it's, it's probably not, um, you, it's the same theology, but like you said, it's in the air we breathe. Uh, it's, it, it changes, it doesn't change, but it, 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 it kind of molds to the, the situation in which you find your congregant. Um, and, and I think that that's one thing that I've learned really quickly. Um, uh, you know, I'm working in the church and also taking seminary classes at the same time. So I'm learning yeah. them <laughs> concurrently. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing at all. Um, yeah, it, it, you, what, what I've learned, I mean, theology is inherently pastoral. Uh, mm, it's yeah. not... It is not an academic exercise. You're not dealing in philosophy here. Um, God speaks his word for us, you know, to us, not to be debated, so to speak, uh, but to be enacted. And so um, I, I, I loved seminary because I didn't have to deal with it in such a real way, <laughs> yeah. just, which is why you sort of have a nice advantage here that you're doing this while in the parish. It's fascinating for us. We have a four-year track at least when I went through seminary, we'd have a four-year track. In your first two years, you're like an expert on everything. 
And then they send you <laughs> off on a year, an internship year. We call it our vicarage. And that vicarage, you come back from your vicarage and you're like, oh, dude, I don't know crap, man. I'm sorry. I don't know anything. Uh, I, I got to I gotta get back to work and figure this out. And you learn a ton more your fourth year because uh, you yeah. care more about it. You see why it matters. Um, so it's it's an it's it's something I continue to enjoy mm. learning. Um, and, and and to be honestly, to just be challenged by like as a pastor, you start to learn to preach to yourself and this stuff too. And it yeah, it it's frustrating. It's difficult, but in the in the best possible sense. So yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, I I will just share a, a quick anecdote on that. Is you know I I was in a seminary class and we were going through some of these foundational aspects of pastoral ministry, and one of them was you know like how do how do you conduct a funeral? And uh, interestingly enough, um, unfortunately, I was graced with the opportunity to preach a funeral right mm-hmm. after the week that I you know, studied about funerals. And there was this really interesting sort of dynamic there where I'm learning this, (laughs) I'm learning these techniques, not, not techniques, but I'm learning this ideas from a a textbook. And then I'm having to very quickly uh, put them into a real world setting. Uh, And it just really like your comment that theology is inherently pastoral is (laughs) uh, more true than I think, you know, it's just, um, well, I'm sure you do know it, but it's it's very, very much it's theology on the ground. It's in the air we breathe, and when you're able to speak that sort of truth into a moment, you know, when you're confronted with someone who's grieving because of the loss of a loved one yeah. or yeah. just whatever tragedy they're they're dealing with, that's why I think really what it means to shepherd the church. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, I'm thankful that, you know, God has called me to that. I'm by no means an expert, but I'm, I'm thankful that I can learn on the fly, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. It, when you've, when you've decided you're an expert, you've, you're wrong, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, the Lord, and this is where like right now when we're in this pandemic, I mean, the Lord sends you things and you're like, who could have known what to do with this? Like <laughs> there's no book on this. Yeah. This is bizarre. Um, <laughs> Where's this times as we call them? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't remember going over how to handle a pandemic in my, you know, seminary textbooks. So. Me neither. I Me forgot neither. that chapter. <laughs> um, well, that's, man, that's good stuff. But um, how, so how did you, so you've been in the ministry for a while. How did you come to uh, be involved with uh, 1517 and sort of the, the legacy of that ministry? Uh, so, I don't know how, maybe eight years into my ministry, I can't remember now, uh, a guy moved to the area where I was serving, uh, his name is Paul Koch, uh, and, and Paul came to me one day and said, hey man, uh, I'd like to um, get together once a week and kind of translate the text we're going to preach on and, and, and work through them, and I said, okay, we'll do that, and uh, after about a year of doing that, he started a blog called The Jagged Word, um, mm. and he was writing on there and we would talk all the time and he wanted it to be kind of like a, almost like a Christian sort of men's magazine, you know, where you're dealing with politics and sports and uh, fashion and all this kind of stuff. We actually had that going for quite a while. Uh, And so he asked me to write about theology and sports and where that might intersect somehow, which was an interesting challenge for a while. Um, And so I got into that. And then through that, Scott Keith, uh, he and Paul are great friends. And so I got to meet Scott and uh, got to know Scott a little bit better at a few things we did with the Jagged Word. Um, and then I was starting to, Jagged Word got brought under 1517 for a while and Scott asked us to write for both sites. So I started writing more for 1517. Uh, and then in the course of that, I got asked to be on the board of directors. Um, so I serve on the board of directors for 1517 now. And um, then Paul, who's got it, Paul's just slurry of ideas. He's got all kinds of great ideas. Yeah, he wanted to start something called the craft of preaching. Uh, and so that's my major involvement now. I, I haven't written for the Jagged Word for a little while, but uh, and uh, but but I write um, sometimes for 1517. I'm the content editor for the craft of preaching. Uh, we're putting out great content every single week to help pastors preach through texts. Um, and Paul... Uh, is the one who got me involved with that. So I, Paul kind of got me involved with all this stuff. He's 
the mastermind here. Um, they, we also have, uh, well, yeah, so th that's, that's pr my primary involvement. I, I write for the site, um, do craft of preaching, serve on the board. So. Yeah, I've loved uh, the craft of preaching. Uh, I'll just give a shout out to all that, all your efforts. <laughs> I've really benefited from it. Um, cool. Just as a preacher, cool. I love, you know, I'm very much an expositor. I would say I would consider my, myself that. And the craft of preaching, I think, is a really, uh, you know, indelible help uh, in that regard. Cool. And so I'm really thankful for that ministry and that outlet. And um, so if anyone's listening and you haven't found the craft of preaching, be sure you do so. It's a great, great ministry outlet. Uh, um and uh, you would really benefit from it. I, I, I do believe so. Um, yeah, Thank I'm you. really That's thankful. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, really, really glad that you guys have, are putting stuff out there. So uh, let's, uh, though, kind of transition, talk about your book, uh, Finding Christ in the Straw. Of course, it's a, uh, I think, a, a, a Luther quote uh, on the Epistle of James. But what's kind of an, in, what kind of inspired you and, and motivated you uh, to kind of write this this devotional on James? So yeah, so I, uh, another buddy of mine. See, I don't have any ideas of my own. Um, I just <laughs> I rip other people off. Uh, a buddy of mine. Gosh, eight years ago, nine years ago. Now we got together, and he said for Lent he wanted to do a devotional of sorts. Uh, where we, we had a devotion every day, and then we came up with some challenge for, for every day of, of the season of Lent. And uh, I really like that idea. We each wrote our own. Um, but I've been, I had at that time really been wanting to work through James because, you know, in the Lutheran church and in grace based churches, we focus so much on by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, that our justification is found, that you have to really be challenged when you read James where it says, you know, you're not justified by faith alone. So my thinking was, if I'm going to be faithful to the text, I'm not going to let my theology drive the text or the text drive my theology, I need to make sure my theology can stand up to the text or at least be formed by it, if that makes sense. So hmm. what I did was I said, why don't we do James and we work through 40 days, 40 devotions to get you through each day with a little prayer, some repentance at the end, a word of absolution, I think, and then, um, and then a challenge. Um, and, and it was great for me. Um, what I found was that, you know, I, I think James serves the church very well. It's, it's an incredible book. Um, so that, that's kind of where the book came from. The, the title, Luther is, is not a great fan of James. Uh, <laughs> he, he has some pretty harsh things to say about it. In fact, he calls it an epistle of straw, mm. uh, which is to say, you know, in Wittenberg at the time, uh, straw was valuable. It was important, but not really stuff, not too substantive. Uh, his point was James does not preach Christ very clearly. It's a lot of law, a lot of instruction. Um, some would even suggest that James is basically just like Proverbs in the new Testament. I, I would challenge that to a certain extent. Uh, but you don't get the passion in there. You don't get the gospel preached clearly in there. You don't have, you know, the, the great Pauline exhortations to salvation by grace apart from works. Um, and so Luther said, it's just kind of, an epistle of straw, it's fine. Uh, he uses it in even some of our confessional documents. He'll use it in the large catechism. Um, but he's going to say, uh, you know, it's just not as important as, say, Romans or Galatians or John hmm. or something like that. So I thought it would be fun to play with that title, with that phrase, an epistle of straw. And I, and I would challenge the Luther take um, hmm. and say, actually, I think you can find Christ all over this book. Um, but it's just you need to know your audience and your context and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, would you say that that's then sort of like the the biggest mixed conception about James is like this idea that it doesn't really have Christ in it? Yeah, uh, the, I, I think the the biggest misconception about James is that it is not that it, yeah that, that it doesn't have Christ in it, uh, but that it's opposed to Paul. Um, mm. I think that's the real misconception because if you actually start to pay closer attention to the books and the issues they're addressing they're saying the very same thing there's a there's a funny thing i, I noticed this in, in theology where people want to pit paul against everything else like <laughs> jesus and paul paul's just like he doesn't understand jesus very well you like you actually hear people have the audacity to say this um 
But if you read James and the Sermon on the Mount, you read James and Jesus, you'll see they're saying very similar things. And when you read Paul, they're all saying very similar things. It's just who are they talking to? Who's the who's the uh, intended audience receiving these words? And when you do that, you start to yeah. find they're all saying the same thing. Um, uh, so I think that's really the big misconception that James is, you know, without the gospel, that he's not focused on, that he and Paul have different views of justification. I'll even hear pastors say this. You ever, um, did you ever listen to the White Horse Inn? Did you ever listen to that show? Yes, yeah. They used to do these like uh, on the street interviews with pastors and stuff. Uh, and one of them, I, I just listened, listened to it recently. They were asking pastors at a conference, you know, what do you think of the doctrine of justification or something like this by faith alone? And almost, it was, it was almost predictable how many of them would say, well, that's Paul, but then there's James. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you think that the Holy Spirit was confused? <laughs> like, you took two different guys, like, have at it, guys, I'm bored. No, um, this is, they actually are just talking about very different issues, um, I think, and, and so, so that's kind of the, 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 the misconception there. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's really true and also really unfortunate just because you, it, it, it kind of points to people's almost like anecdotal or episodic interpretations of scripture where they take people's pieces um, separate as, as opposed yeah. to seeing their uh, glorious and really harmonious um, part of the whole mm. of the redemptive narrative that, you know, God is telling throughout the whole scriptures, all 66 books. It's not like each one is telling their own viewpoint, which they are to a certain extent, but sure. they're not really telling something that's out of bounds from what the spirit is wanting to convey to us, you know, 2000 odd years later. And I think that is what you identified uh, clearly in the book, but also uh, clearly here is just that <laughs> pitting, uh, Pitting James and Paul is 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 so um, esoteric and just not helpful at all. Um, yep. And I, I do also agree that, um, and it's really it, it just it rubs me raw when I, I see theologians trying to pit this idea that Paul's theology is somehow different than what Christ preached. Uh, and if you think that you, you're not really reading the Gospels uh, that clearly, nor are you reading them in light of of the Book of Acts. Um, but mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah, I, this idea that they are somehow opposed is just, uh, I think it, it you're not doing a really good investigative study of Scripture yeah. at that point. Yep. <laughs> and I think the, the clearest evidence for that is, to me, is in chapter 2, when, of course, this is that famous, infamous, I should say, discussion on yeah. faith and works that appears, right. and first glance it does appear opposed that what james is writing in james 2 is different than what paul is writing in romans 3 and 4 but then you get to that wonderful uh citation that james cites genesis 15 6 and then you realize oh yeah paul cites the same exact verse yeah, um, i know i know <laughs> and it's integral to both of their arguments <laughs> yep yep uh and now it does it does get complicated um here, I, I think, um, because it sounds almost as though Paul and James are using Abraham in different ways. And, and in mm -hmm. a certain sense, I do think they are. Uh, they're using the same tense text in a different way. But again, you have to remember uh, the audience. So, I mean, think about this. This is, Paul says this phrase uh, within his Romans 4, when he says, to the one who does not work but believes him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. I mean, you know, there's the, there's the faith alone apart from works, you know, on and on it's going to go. And then James says, well, you see a person is justified uh, by works and not by faith alone. And you're like, well, those do sound like opposing viewpoints on justification. Um, mm. So it, on, you're right. On the surface, it sounds like they're saying different things. But I think you start to dig into this, you start to realize who are they talking to and what's the point? So in Romans or Galatians, the big faith alone passages, um, Paul's writing to the Romans. Uh, this is a church he doesn't know very well. He hasn't met them. And so he's giving them the basics of the faith. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles, Jews who are putting their hope in their obedience to the law and Gentiles who are putting 
their confidence in uh, any number of either paganism or their own um, um, ethics or something like this. Uh, and Paul is showing them that they're all ungodly and they all need to be justified by Christ alone. In mm. Galatians, Paul's talking to people who are being told Christ is insufficient. Good gracious. Uh, <laughs> and so they, in order to be sufficient, need to go back to Deuteronomy and be circumcised and not cook goats in their mother's milk anymore and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and Paul is saying, no, it's all Christ. It's all Christ. And James will not disagree with this. Where James is going to have the problem is he is addressing people who are saying, I don't need to prove uh my faith to anyone uh, by loving my neighbor. I'm saved by grace alone, so I can do what I want. Um, and so James addresses the issue this way. He says, if you see someone starving next to you and you're like, oh, be warm and fed, and then you walk off, and then someone says to you, hey, you're a Christian. You should be helping that guy out. And you say, hey, listen, man, I'm not saved by my works. I'm saved by grace. Like now you're using the gospel as an excuse to sin. Hmm. And you can't actually vindicate the claim to justification by faith uh, when you're not showing love because the faith that saves you will also be a faith that loves the neighbor. Now that love doesn't justify you. That love doesn't save you. Um, but the faith that does save, the faith that clings to Christ does end up doing good. It will yes. end up producing good works in your life. And uh, if you're sinning and harming somebody else, that's not from the Spirit, and you can't claim that it is. Um, and so James is dealing with people who are using, I think, uh, the the gospel as an excuse to laziness and to sin, hmm. and uh, he has no time for it, and nor should we. Neither does Paul, quite frankly. Um, yeah. Paul will talk this way at the end of Galatians um, when he talks about um, uh, faith working itself out in love. Uh, this That's is right. There's no time for laziness in loving your neighbor. And if you are lazy in loving your neighbor or sinful against your neighbor, don't blame Christ. <laughs> don't blame the gospel for this. Uh, it, it's your own fault. Um, yep, that's right. You write in your book uh, that faith is not an excuse to abandon love. And I think that's so true because <laughs> it's it, it doesn't give you this sort of license for a lawless or like you were saying a, a a lazy spirituality. It actually is the incentive uh, to to good works as a byproduct of the work of Christ done for you and yes. in you. And yes. that the failure to understand that I think is a failure to understand. The, the life to which we have been called. And I think that's what yep. Paul and James are both arguing for in Romans and in Galatians and in James. You know, like you mentioned, Galatians had that sort of um, uh, tangential idea of talking about love working itself out of faith at the end of Galatians. But R Romans does the same thing yep. um, at the end of Romans. Ephesians does the same thing where he kind of shifts and, and talks about how now we are to walk in love. And he talks about that throughout the rest of Ephesians in chapters four through six. And I just think that that is to, to isolate both of these apostles as if they are writing something that are, uh, that is directly opposed is, is to not have the the big picture in view uh, of yep. each of these writers. And uh, that's the unfortunate thing is that it just kind of gets colloquial cliched um, sort of uh, yep. that's bombast between them. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is what happens when you start to, you know, um, proof text uh, and yeah. you don't read yeah. the whole text. You don't give the context, everything uh, it actually has, but you just pull out one line and it's pitted against another line. This is the way, um, you know, the news media pits Democrats against Republicans. This is not the way Christians ought to be reading the Bible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, this is, we don't, we don't lift phrases for our own advantage. Uh, we, we read the scriptures and let them speak for themselves. Amen. That's right. And, and I think that's the key for my understanding of these passages. And I think that's, it's the, 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 I believe the correct one is is the key to its interpretation, like you mentioned, is is the perspective of the intended audience, um, yep. and keeping that in mind. And what was Paul's um, sort of incentive behind what he was writing about in Romans three and four, and really the whole epistle? And what was James's incentive here uh, in writing to this 
you know, collective of believers and when, what were they doing um, that was, uh, you know, inspiring him to write such forcible words. And I think you can pick that up throughout the text is, yeah. is exactly what you're saying is they were just almost like sitting on their hands, not wanting to do anything uh, sort of merciful for their brother. He, he talks about that in, in the passage in, in, in James two. And, and he, he even sort of begins that conversation in verse 13, where he writes, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Sure, mercy triumphs sure. over judgment. And the point is a person who shows no mercy is likely someone who has not been rightly, uh, who has not rightly reckoned the mercy by which he has been saved himself. Um, sure. And I think that's the whole point, uh, at least in my mind of that, of the, of him starting that that conversation is well. This remember is, this the, is, remember the mercy. Right. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> this, this is Jesus in the parables, right? I mean, you yeah. have this marvelous <laughs> parable of uh, the rich man who who forgives uh, the 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 master who forgives his servant millions and millions and millions of dollars, and the guy goes out and throws his uh, <laughs> neighbor in prison uh, because the guy owes him like six bucks or something from beer the other night, and you're like, this is ridiculous. Someone who has received so much mercy showing no mercy to anyone else. Um, you don't, you haven't listened to the master. Like you don't understand exactly mm. what it is you've received. And so it is yeah. here with James, James saying, listen, you guys are exalting the rich among you because you can get something out of them. That love looks nothing like the love that Christ has shown to you. You poor sinful beings, right? Mm. Um, he's shown you grace and mercy. And those of you who are weak, He's made strong. Those of you who lack, he has given all good things. And now when those who are lacking come to you, you say to them, oh, you know, thoughts and prayers, be warm and fed. I'm going to go hang out with the rich guys and enjoy the parties. Like you're missing this entirely. You, you've, you have missed what Christ is doing among you. And you've, tre- yeah. you've now drawn, uh, you're acting like the world. You've fallen in love with the world. Mm. And that mm. is not of Christ. Yes. And that's a really good point to bring up that parable because I think that is such a really important uh, story of Jesus's to keep in mind when you're reading James is is because that's what kind of leads you to the the realization that what James is saying is actually um, not you know sort of an antithetical to Paul. It's the same as Paul in that the demand for good works is the outcome of one's experience of grace and that Paul says that James is saying that. And I think that's what Jesus is hinting at here is that if you have this really muted uh, view of your own experience of the master's mercy, uh, you will likely not show mercy and therefore you are not uh, fulfilling your role, your, your duty, your errand as one who is, uh, supposed to be merciful to uh, to his neighbor, to as he says in Matthew twenty two, to love your neighbor as yourself, and um, uh, and that's I when I think this really beautiful sort of picture of what the Christian life ought to be, uh, so to speak, uh, comes really to the fore is when you realize that Jesus was saying the same thing. (laughs) And it's this wonderful, wonderful, harmonious picture of grace uh, leading to acts of love and and deference and kindness and and, and, the fruits of the spirit (laughs) as Paul gets to. (laughs) Yep, Yep, exactly. Yes. So that's right. So uh, it's the fruits of the spirit. Now we want to be... Think of Jesus also here when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, the opposite of that would be then, or the the way that works out is, in me, you're going to bear much fruit. Yep. So if Paul will pray for the Ephesians that Christ, that, the, that God would give them the Holy Spirit so Christ will dwell in their heart through faith. And if the Christ who's dwelling in your heart is the same Christ who... Um, forgives and who dies and suffers and washes feet and speaks words of mercy uh, is dwelling in your heart, you're going to assume that the fruit that comes from that is going to be similar. Um, And if it's not, now James shows up and he doesn't come kind of like to examine your fruit so much as to say, there is no fruit. Your faith is dead. Where's Christ? (laughs) Mm. I mean, we see this, we, 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 I want to be careful that we, I get don't get too legalistic here, but we do see this 
in the way we need to critique a lot of the churches, right? Like a lot of churches are not places people go to for refuge because they're afraid they're going to be judged and condemned. Hmm. Um, and so you ask yourself, what is the spirit of Christ being granted to you? Are you hearing the gospel constantly? Or is it nothing but legalism now uh, that's driving you to judge other people all the time? And I think James would say we need to get back to preaching the word, the implanted word, which can save your souls is what James talks about. You preach that and it's going to produce this fruit because Christ is now dwelling not just in your heart, but he's dwelling in your midst. And Christ is you know, with you and you have the Holy Spirit. And he is, one of my professors would say, he's no impotent Holy Spirit. He's a very powerful Holy Spirit. (laughs) So he's going to be at work producing the fruit of Christ. And James says, if you don't see that, your faith might be dead. If Abraham Mm. is told by God, you know, uh, take Isaac up and sacrifice him. And Abraham's like, no, I'm saved by grace. (laughs) (laughs) You're not listening. You're not there's no way you can prove you have faith when that's the attitude. Or Rahab, which I think is the great example here, yes. um, which James goes to. In. Rahab is the great example here because, one, she is the perfect example of someone who is saved by grace apart from works and then who, through that salvation, demonstrates her faith, right? So yep. if you yes. read the account yes. of Rahab, she, uh, she is a, a prostitute in Jericho. Now, you need to understand about prostitutes uh, in the ancient world, they weren't just, you know, down and out needing some money. Uh, she was, this was a way you would worship the pagan gods. <laughs> so, so her adultery is idolatry and it's carried out in a manner that, that despises the one true God and grotesquely worships false gods. She hears, uh, in fact, her phrase is, I've heard of what your God has done for Israel to rescue them from Egypt. In other words, when the spies go to Jericho, they show up and Rahab saves them and rescues them because why? She's heard about the saving work of their God and she trusts that their God is going to be faithful to his promises. And Mm. so she's saying, I trust what your God does. I trust he's going... uh, to destroy us because he's promised to do it. And I know my only salvation is in him. So I'm going to save you guys and rescue you. That's her faith given by the word, which by the way, back in, I think it's Deuteronomy, God says, um, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And then he talks about how uh, news of his saving work is going to go throughout the world. And people will, even from the Gentiles will begin to believe, well, Rahab is this, right? She's the one who hears and believes now has faith, and her faith works itself out by rescuing and helping uh, the Israelites, the people of God. This is a great example of what it means to be a Christian. By grace we're saved through faith on account of Christ and what he's done. Faith comes through hearing, and now uh, we love and serve the church, the people of God, especially those who are in need among us. Does that make sense? Like I think Rahab is the key to understanding the James passage. uh, Yes. getting James and Paul to make sense together. Um, Mm. So Mm. I I don't know. That's, that's kind of the, it's kind of a beautiful way this works out that faith comes through hearing Christ dwells in your heart through faith. And he's going to start to work himself out uh, through your deeds, uh, just like with Rahab. Yeah, precisely. Well, and I I love that point because it, it plays into uh, the the fruits of the spirit uh, as well, because, you know, there's this sense in which, when we are sort of prescribed to demonstrate the fruits of the spirit, that they are indeed uh, prescriptions of what it means to uh, be a believer. When in fact, if you, like you, like you so well uh, articulated that when you remember Christ's invitation of the fact that those who are in him will bear much fruit, you realize that they are actually descriptions of those Mm. who are finding themselves in Christ by faith. Uh, that yeah. they are bearing fruit, and it's not necessarily them pulling themselves by their own bootstraps and making sure no. that they're, you know, doggedly performing good works. No, they are lovingly, uh, as James will write, they are fulfilling the law of liberty in their own hearts yeah. by bearing fruit. And I think that's the wonderful picture that you have here of 
fruit bearing itself out of faith and faith and fruit are always and will always be intricately tied to Christ's work. And when you separate them, that's when a load of misconceptions and deceptions and corruptions of the gospel will come into play. And that's why I think James is writing to this way. Paul writes to this way and Peter as well, uh, yeah, everywhere yeah. throughout the New Testament, the writing, uh, keeping everything tied to Christ, because that's where yes. everything will be, uh, will blossom out of. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's where Luther's critique of James hmm, um, yeah. is, is very actually helpful, uh, hmm. is that if you just read this book uh, apart from Christ, you, you, like James is not explicit ever with the passion of Jesus. He just doesn't come out and talk about it very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you read it apart from that, you're going to misunderstand it and you're going to misuse it. Uh, so it is it is necessary that James is always read alongside of Paul and alongside of the Gospels uh, so that you see it in its proper context. Uh, James is writing to people who he knows have this stuff and are abusing it, and so he's got to kind of correct that. But for us to read this within the canon, it's always so crucial for us to understand James in light of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, That's right. um, Otherwise, you're going to misunderstand it. And I wanted to, just real quickly, if I could go back to a point, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, One of the things that makes me nervous when I read James or even when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit uh, is is pastors kind of misconstruing this to say, okay, so now what we're going to do is see how faithful is your faithfulness. And we're going to (laughs) start examining how loving is your love and how kind is your kindness. And you start to really become fruit inspectors here. And Mm. with James... He's not like a fruit inspector seeing, you know, how how loving is their love or something like this. He's actually a preacher of the law here saying, you guys are sinning. It's not that you're not fruitful enough. It's that you're sinning against your neighbor. Uh, there's no fruit there. In fact, there's poison. And so mm. he's calling them out for their sin and not for their lack of, um, he's not, in other words, he's not talking here to the brother or sister who who hears the fruits of the spirit and is now terrified that they're not doing enough. He's talking to the sinner who says, I'm comfortable not doing anything for these people. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do you see the difference yeah. there? Yeah. Um, we don't want to, we don't want to start using this as a club for those who need the consolation of the gospel. This hmm. is a club against those who are using the gospel as an excuse to sin. Yeah. Um, and James has no time for it. Yes. <laughs> and neither does anyone else in the New Testament either. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Exactly. And, and that's, go ahead. This is Jesus against the Pharisees. This is yeah. what this is. Yeah. Um, uh, those who have the religious priority, and, and as Paul would say, who have uh, the law and the prophets, who have, who have it all, and they're not using it except to heap heavier burdens on other people's backs um, by their, their, their inactivity. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so with with that in mind, with that sort of conversation uh, in in mind, then why what do you think is not just the this passage on faith and works, but taking James the epistle as a whole? What would you say makes this letter so uniquely important for the the modern believer and the modern church? I would say too. There's so much in the book, actually. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier, some people view this as like the New Testament version of Proverbs, and I and I tend mm. to push against that. I think it's uh, uh, I think it's more an epistle written to a specific context, whereas the Proverbs are very general. Um, and, and yet, when you read the first chapter, it has a proverbial feel to it. And, and one of the things he really emphasizes there uh, is patience in the midst of suffering, mm. um, at least for us in these last couple months, you know, James says, you know, consider it pure joy when you receive a trial of any kind. Um, this is our trial right now. It's not necessarily persecution that we're facing as the church, but we are trying to figure out how should we meet together? Uh, what do we do? We need to be encouraged uh, to pray and be patient. And James is wonderful with those encouragements to patience and to mm. prayer. Mm. Um, I, again, I think, um, James speaks very well to, 
I don't want to say social justice, but certainly the social consciousness um, of the church that uh, all the isms, there's no place for them. And I think that's really what James 2 is getting at. We have no place for isms. So you have uh, the wealthy and the poor and the wealthy are exalted. James says there's there's none of that. Uh, mm, James yeah. 2 could be thought of as a working out of, of Galatians and uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, rich nor poor. Um, <laughs> in the church, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, and the weakest among us need to be cared for. So we think of that in our own context. I mean, the, the big story right now is, you know, another um, another black person getting shot uh, just by going for a jog in Georgia. I'm sure you, you guys heard all about that. Mm, yeah. um, and so what does the scriptures have to say to that? Well, well, James will have, and the church now turns this into a political debate. Um, but you have a, a person now and an entire community of people who are suffering and mourning and weeping, and the whole church is now called uh, to to support them, to love them, to get behind them, to, to to be there as one, not as sort of different factions, but as one together, helping those who are suffering amongst us. I think James's call um, to an active faith actually speaks to issues of racism and sexism and all those kinds of things uh, mm. that we still are dealing with. Uh, in the church mm. and in our culture. And I, and I think he's a great call for the entire church to own up to our sins in some of this uh, and now to do everything in our power to help those who are uh, marginalized among us. Um, I think I got a whole list. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah, the importance good. of faithful preaching, James 2, about guarding the tongue, I think is really a, a second commandment issue. I know in, in the Lutheran church, I know we number the commandments differently. So uh, you shall uh, not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. Um, so here we have James telling us to watch our tongues. He's not just saying, don't say naughty words. Uh, but what he's saying is good teaching is, goes a long way and bad teaching does a lot of damage. Uh, and so pastors need to be very diligent in how they preach and teach. Um, I think he talks mm-hmm. about how we should use our wealth. There, oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much in this book that is so necessary, I think, for the American church and for the American context um, that we really need to get back to. Uh, And and quite frankly, because there's so much repentance we need to do. I I mean, this is the book that repents us. It shows us that in the Christian life, you are simultaneously a sinner and a saint. And don't downplay the fact that there is still part of the old sinful nature still clinging to you that needs to be killed. And James is coming for it. Double barrel. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that we need to go after in our own hearts and our own lives and in our own congregations. Um, and, and so I think James is very useful for that. Is that, does that get at your question? <laughs> Definitely it does. And I think Good. you're so right in terms of it addressing all of these issues that we are still facing today. And I would even hasten to say that they were present in James's day too, perhaps in yep. different manifestations, but and that's what makes the scriptures, the scriptures is that they are timeless and that you can read these words and you can, as you say, uh, be confronted with a double barrel shotgun of God's truth and be uh, sort of repented in that moment of your, uh, your, your false conceptions about, you know, your brother, your, your sister, your neighbor uh, and whatnot. And I think that, that, that is what makes this book. So uh, I think uniquely timely um, uh, all of the scriptures are, but I think James, especially so because we are a, 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 a culture that is concerned with output and productivity and I think that that's why James is often referenced in this idea of, yeah. of, of works and stuff like that. But I think that's what makes it also so uh, resonant is, 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 well, to steal your title, is finding Christ in the midst of this straw, is finding that it, it is not tangential to the gospel. It's uniquely tied to the gospel. And I think that that's, uh, that's what makes it, I think, really, really uh, resonant for modern modern believers, the modern church. Uh, uh, y- your words were were very accurate. <laughs> good, good, yeah. And uh, well, and to kind of jump off of that is you you were mentioning these last several weeks and months. Uh, obviously, we've been enduring uh, this weird season of the coronavirus. Just. Real quick, how 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 have you guys been handling that? I know you you are out on the West Coast, so it's a little bit different than 
than where I am uh, a little bit. Um, but how have you been uh, handling it with you your, yourself personally, but also uh, congregationally? And what's some of the things you've kind of been learning uh, in this well, season? I don't know. I I'm losing sleep over how we do this as a congregation. I mean, we've we've <laughs> yeah. shut down services. Um, we, we're not gathering for services. We're doing online services. Um, every day we're now doing Facebook live devotions, myself, my associate pastor and our director of Christian education. Um, we're working through, we worked through the Psalms for the first couple of weeks and mm. now we, we just finished working through uh, tomorrow, I guess we'll start, we'll finish working through first Peter. Um, then we're going to go to, uh, the, the parables, but we're doing devotions like that. Um, everything's just kind of gone online. I don't know. I'm trying to find ways that we can kind of, we thought about gathering in our parking lot for a service, uh, but then we were told in the latest thing from San Diego County, we can't have parking lot services um, because somehow the virus magically passes from car to car. That's a, I don't need to be cynical. Um, so that's what we've done. I, I know like within the 1517 community, there's a lot of debate as how best to handle this. What's the right way? What's the wrong way? Um, this is one of those times where I think we just need to be gracious towards our brothers and sisters and say, you know, this, this is strange and probably some of us are going to do it wrong and we need to have a lot of mercy, mm. um, towards each other. And some of us are going to do it right and we need to thank God for it. But I don't think anybody we're simultaneously sinners and saints. So we're going yeah. forward in faith, uh, knowing that we're probably getting stuff wrong, but that the Lord is with us. And, and so that's been kind of how we've handled it. How about, how about you guys? I know it is different out there. It's probably a little more intense out there. Than it is we, out here. Yeah. So we're in central Pennsylvania. I'm in a rural context. So, uh, we are in proximity to a, a hot zone, so to speak with New York mm. city, um, three, uh, three ish hours away. But even still, we have never really closed our doors to a service, uh, but we have, you know, strongly encouraged congregants to uh, live stream to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and we've we've transitioned uh, transitioning a rural church into online ministry is 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 no easy process. Oh, I can't but imagine. We, yeah, <laughs> we've tried to do that to our best ability, and uh, you know we're we're continuing to convene, and I think that that's what I. Uh, what you were talking about with your fifteen seventeen brothers is what I'm feeling too is that there's i don't think the online rhetoric wants you to believe that there's one right answer for every context, and I don't yeah. believe that there yep. is nope. and um I think I, I was confessing to my board uh recently is just the fact that at the beginning of all this i like you was losing sleep, and I think it was because I was trying to make too perfect of a decision on yes. how to handle this. <laughs> and I think that it, to kind of steal Tolkien, um, who is easily stealable is the fact <laughs> that, you know, it's not, we don't get it's that quote from Gandalf. You know, we don't get to choose the time that we're in. All that we're given is what to do with the time that we're given. You know, that's all we have yeah, to do. Yeah. And yep. I think that that is, sort of for in my own perspective the watchword of the church in this moment is you don't get to choose whether or not you had to deal with this in your time like we were saying beforehand uh, I'm a first year pastor I didn't sign up to have to deal with an <laughs> unprecedented pandemic um <laughs> but I don't no one did and uh, you know my dad he's a pastor too as we were talking about and I confess that very thing to him, but it was funny because he pushed back and said, you know, I'm in my 25th year and I didn't either. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. You know, that's the whole point is that we don't get to choose our times. Uh, we're just called to be faithful in the middle of these times and meeting our people where they are. And so whether that is, you know, I, I've seen several churches do drive-in services or whether it's moving everything online or whether it's meeting in small ways, I, whatever it looks like, meet your people where they are and make sure that the word is going out and understand yep. that there will be uh, cracks and that's okay. Um, just be faithful to your context and don't get caught up in the rhetoric. I, I think that's yeah. kind of what I'm learning. I got to tell you, my congregation though, they have been wonderful. They've been so good, mm, good. Uh, to us as the pastors, like with support and good. kindness. And I, if there's, you know, 
any congregations listening, your pastor needs that right now. It is, uh, yeah. it is, it's a tough sledding. It's tough sledding right now. Um, yes. Yes. But God is faithful and, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll brag on my congregation too a little bit. They have been so, uh, kind with sending just small notes of, Hey, I'm praying for you or thank you for, uh, you know, persisting in the sermons and all those sorts of things. And like you said, that is, uh, almost indispensable for me. It's indispensable for uh, in, 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 in during the season, uh, just knowing that I'm not doing this in vain. I don't do it for recognition, but there's that sense in which, um, you almost need it sometimes during these really weird seasons. And that's, I hate to use that word again, but it's just a weird season of life. I don't really know how to make sense of it. <laughs> yeah. Though I, I do think it's interesting. You, you said like, we didn't, sign up for this and then but in a certain sense we, <laughs> we did <laughs> yeah. this is exactly yeah and that's where like it's i i was when this whole thing started not that it's like it's not that it's fun but it's like there's a sense of purpose to it right this is exactly where mm. god has now placed us and we are in that we are in that sort of uh uh gandalf uh, uh, uh frodo moment where yeah, I did not want to live to see such days. Well, nobody ever did. But guess what? These are the days you have. And so how are we going to fight? And yeah. so there's a, there's, a, there's a challenge to it that gets you kind of like, all right, this is where the Lord's put me now. He's called me to this. What do I do with it? And, it, and yeah. it's, it's frustrating and it's tiring. And I'm <laughs> getting a little, honestly, I'm getting a little depressed um, in, in the midst of all of this. Uh, like I just wake up and I, I don't have a lot of drive and it's, it's a very hmm. weird feeling, but like, that's, what's going to happen. That's, that's part of the, the ebb and flow of this thing. Yes. And, um, it's good to have conversations like this. It's good to be in touch with your brothers uh, in the ministry, reaching out to them to make sure they're doing okay. Um, you know, there's it, it and to have good congregations supporting you. It's a, it's an interesting time. Hmm. Um, but I, I'll tell you what I keep seeing, like all this negative stuff. I've seen my brothers in the ministry prayerfully working hard to do what they think is best. Um, and I disagree with a lot of it and I agree with a lot of it and it does like, but so what, um, this is churches have stepped up and I don't, I have not seen churches reacting in fear. Hmm. Um, yeah, but maybe so. I mean, maybe a little mixed in there, but, um, everyone's got to do something and, Everyone's trying. I have not seen any churches who are like, well, forget it. We'll see you guys whenever this thing's over. Like, I haven't seen that at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so that's a good thing. I, I like what you said. We did kind of sign up for this, and it is a challenge, but I think it's a it's, it's a good one to bring this whole thing full circle is to bring your theology on the ground. And so what do you really believe yeah. about this Messiah from Galilee do you really believe that he is the, you know, eschatological king to use some seminary language and <laughs> you believe that he still is even in this moment? And if so, um, articulate that to your people. Uh, yeah, that's what exactly. I've been with because <laughs> that's what's been impressed upon me. I will say is that even in this moment, it doesn't change what I believe about Jesus and the king and the coming, uh, the coming reign that is, that is, uh, imminent. Uh, however, as you know, it's not, I don't think it's now, but you know, that doesn't change the fact that we are called to impress upon our people this wonderful message that, yeah, like James says, uh, you, you will fall into various trials, but know that Jesus still reigns. And yep. uh, that encouraging message is one that I think will, uh, get into the ears of whoever and, and, and bless them. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's wonderfully said. Well, just to change it to uh, more of a lighthearted note. Um, you know, we are talking before we jumped on here about, uh, the documentary, the last dance and all that kind of stuff. What is something, uh, if that's it, that's fine. But, uh, what's something that's keeping you not distracted, but, um, uh, joyful, uh, entertained <laughs> during this time? So I, I will say this, I have, uh, my reading time is going very well. Um, <laughs> good. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've exercised almost every day, which is good, but then to offset that I've been baking. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually going to be any healthier at all, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exercise and that, that's been great. It's been, it's been every night, my, my kids and I, 
we've been doing movie marathons. So we did uh, Harry Potter and uh, nice how to train your dragon. Uh, now we're doing uh, Star Wars, so we're watching movies. Um, nice. I yeah, love that. We, we've, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this. We've bent the rules out here a little bit. We get together with some of our friends um, still. Uh, we're, we're not supposed to. Uh, the, the, the mandate out here is you stay inside, and if it's anybody who's not from your house, they can't come in your house. Um, we've, we've fudged on that significantly. Um, <laughs> but I won't tell no yeah, one. So just that kind of stuff. That's great. Well, and yeah, I, similarly, I've, I've, I've tried to be disciplined about keeping up my reading and all that kind of stuff and en- enjoying, enjoying the moment. You know, I have two little kids, uh, a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so this has been wonderful in, in that sense. And yeah. I get to really uh, see them and be with them and really be with them uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, so I'm kind of thankful for that kind of refreshment. What's the deal with your seminary? Are you are you still taking classes online, or is that were you at a different pay, uh, place with that? Yeah, good question. So I did two classes this semester. I'm doing it kind of slowly. Um, so I just got done with that at the beginning of May. I finished up both of my classes that I was taking. Uh, so I'm in the I'm I have. Uh, a few credits under my belt and a long way to go uh, working okay. on my MDiv, but uh, I'm going to do some summer, summer courses here. I attend uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological in uh, Kansas City. I am doing it online, which I'm really grateful for because uh, I can kind of go at my own pace and uh, be able to, like we were talking about, apply uh, seminary learning to real world, world settings which I think is the point anyways. And I get to do it <laughs> really quickly uh, with uh, being in the ministry and, and in the pastorate. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Cool. Very cool. Well, Bob, Great. I uh, really appreciate you. Um, I really appreciate the time that you've um, allotted for me. And uh, I appreciate your ministry and the conversation. And uh, I just really thank you for your insights. I pray that this was a blessing. It was a blessing to me. I pray it's a blessing to you and to those listening. So I really Absolutely appreciate it. Was. Brad, it's a real honor to be on, and I really thank you for, for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to today's edition of the Ministry Minded Podcast. Thanks so much for Bob for being a guest on the show. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on Anchor Podcast. If you're feeling gracious, you can leave me a review. I really appreciate those. But thank you as always for commenting and for listening and subscribing. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Blessings.